Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello there. So we're back for the second pod of the season, the season proper anyway, and it's certainly an interesting time in FPL. The template is continuing to pootle along quite nicely, actually, aided and abetted by big scores from the likes of Jesus, Cancelo, and the focus increasingly being drawn to the margins of our sides. Just to let you know, we're recording on Monday the 15th of August as the Liverpool Palace game is in progress. So there may be the occasional yelp. And just a quick point, Mo Salah's hair. Like my girlfriend astutely remarked that he seems to have kind of Mel B in the 90s sort of vibe going on with that. I don't know whether he took a picture of her and just went, I just want that. But yeah, that made me chuckle a lot when she said that. That's probably the only bit of uh, kind of interest you'll ever pay in the football is looking at the footballer's hair. But anyway, um, back from sunning herself in Portugal, uh, I'm joined for this one by Lucy, who I believe is once more shooting off for yet another holiday after this. So it's just a short stint before Nick comes back. Just can't give a staff these days, can you? Anyway, uh, Lucy, you're all right. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Although it was strange to return from Madeira to warmer weather in the UK. Although being on holiday certainly made the final deadline less fraught. And yes, Mm. I shall be swapping my very limited Portuguese to very limited Spanish as I flit off to the Canaries this coming weekend. (laughs) See, We are Who Got The Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WDTA underscore FPL. And you can find me, Lucy, at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. On the pod today, we'll be trying a slight restructure of our traditional pod format and seeing how we like it. We'll start off by discussing enablers in FPL, which is a macro view of how the cheap guys in our team perform in general to set expectations before zooming in to look at the key questions flying around in the midfield cheap seats this season. After the break, we'll then get into everything else. That's the game week reviews, the market forces, a brief mini league update with the game week still in progress before finishing with our listeners' questions. Brilliant. Yeah, just thought we'd switch it around and just get get to the meat first and leave you with I soggy... I mean, about our teams, really. Yeah, the, obviously, you know, the listeners' questions works as dessert, but, you know, game reviews, market forces, brief mini league update, all very important things. You've got to eat your veg. But nonetheless, everybody kind of wants to get to the meat, or in my case, you know, the soy substitute before you get to that, don't they? Right, let's get into the main theme then, which is enablers in FPL, or how do we assess enablers in FPL? As I said in the preamble, the role of enablers has been thrown into sharp relief this week, barring a big injury in the next kind of 45 minutes, as the template has rolled on okay for the first couple of game weeks, for most of us at least, especially those who didn't do Kane to Haaland. So the focus, I suppose, naturally falls on blankers, non-starters, disappointments around the edges of our teams. If we kind of think the core 10, you know, are all okay. I don't think this has ever been a standalone topic, Lucy, in all of the five and a bit years I've been doing this, because I think it's something you always sort of overlook or something that gets overtook in the running order eventually so it's nice to have something new novel for a change after five years uh, obviously if you listen to this it may not be the case that you're looking around the edges you know if you've got one free transfer and you've got a bailey or something probably would be rolling that as we'll speak about in a minute 
but I hope the overarching scope of the discussion will still be helpful uh, for you. And how we approach this is kind of how we always do things in WGTA, really. So start big and then draw downwards. So general chat about how enablers play the role in the team, a little bit of historical look at them with a data dive over the last few years, followed by a look at the current midfield, I think, questions in this year's milieu. But we'll try to keep it relatable as far as we can. So I know not everybody's in the same situation we are. So wide look at enablers and kind of a little bit of a chat about what's going on, how things are developing right now. So the enablers, Lucy, the 11th man, who are these guys to you and what do you sort of expect from them? I think we have fairly limited expectations or we should have limited expectations, especially for those midfielders where the base price gives you much less. I think potentially Wan-Bissaka and Lundström, as well as Tino Livermento starts the last season, has probably created slightly unfair expectations for that formerly in defensive bracket. So in this case, it's Nico Williams and Nathan Patterson this season. I think people are already starting to hype those guys, probably to an extent they might not be able to justify, but it's become a bit of a kind of FPL legend, the four million pound defender. Whereas I think those budget midfielders, of which I'm sure we'll discuss in great detail, have perhaps got less of a history and thus we kind of are better at managing our expectations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, I've got the same low expectations of these guys. If you look at it objectively, at the start of the season, pre-game week one, the herd mentality sort of impact tends to dictate who we end up with. So the likes of Neto and Bayou this preseason were backed by sizable chunks of ownership, driven on, of course, by content creators such as ourselves, saying, oh, Bailey, he was good at Leverkusen, meaning that you're afraid of not being on the bandwagon when it goes off. The decent case was made by these sorts of players. You're not going to beat yourself up about getting them they ultimately enable everything else so if someone says to me if i post on team on social media oh why do you have this guy i actually feel good about that because it means the rest of the team is beyond reproach it's just there's one guy who's kind of making it all fit together and often we don't really look at that guy very much and as you mentioned there's been a few sort of dream scenarios back in the day uh, the john lundstram is kind of the clear archetype there isn't he you know four million base price an absolute steal as a defender who was actually a midfielder. And it meant that he was both a no-brainer to own, as he was just great value, and everyone else owned, of course. And you could simply concentrate on the core 11. This year, it's it's not looking as clear. I mean, as Lucy intimated, the 4.0s don't look as amazing in defence as they have in seasons past. I mean, Emerson Palmieri, I think, is being linked to West Ham. He could be one that could maybe come in and do a job. But yeah, in the midfield slots, we've got a kind of a, an enduring problem right now. In the forward slots, I think they're perennially a bit rubbish, aren't they, in the, the cheap prices, apart from Harry Kane back in way back when, 2015-16, I think it was. So... To try to figure out how this looks, I have a historical look at players in the kind of the cheap seats. And by I, I mean, I asked my statistician pal, Mitchell Sterling, who also helps me out on Talisman Theory, for help. And basically what we did is we looked at the last six seasons and we looked at all players who began each season between the prices of 4 to 4.5 in defence, 4.5 to 5.5 midfield, and 4.5 to 5.5 in the forwards, just to get an idea of the kind of expectations we should be objectively, realistically looking at. And there's a hefty number of data points here if you think about all the players who have been in the game since 2017-18. So I think we can say that this is what you would be expecting with a robust base, which is what I quite like to see in FPL, rather than kind of saying, oh, the last two game weeks, he's done this, therefore he is worth buying. FPL Twitter, hang your head in shame. Anyway, starting with the cheap seats in defence, Lucy, over the last six years... How much would you expect a 4 to 4.5 defender to score on average? 
I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I'm trying to call. I'm trying to get an idea of kind of what you quantify that as being. You know, I don't even. I don't even take into account like people's final totals, apart from when they're in like 200 club or like over 150. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people look at players and think, oh yeah, he's going to be great over X, or he's just, he's a great season keeper. But the you, know, you never is... think that about the cheap guys, though, do you? You never you think, oh, I'll have him from game week one to 38 because he's clearly going to be there all the time. What you're actually thinking is this guy will do from game weeks one to four and then hopefully someone else will have opened up. That's it. So for the cheap defenders, you're expecting a points range of between zero to 74 on average. You know? So the vast majority of these players do absolutely nothing at all throughout the course of the season. The big outlier, of course, Stuart Dallas. So a couple of years ago, 171 points, ridiculous output for a 4.5. Properly game breaking. He's 26 points actually above what John Lundstrand managed at Sheffield United, which is 144. He and Matt Doherty over at Wolves 2018 also scored that 144 points in there and this Mirabilis's. But yeah, just unremarkable, really, in the long term. So you've got those through FPL legends, but really, you know, you've got the likes of Baldock, John Egan, Willie Bolly, Connor Cody who all stand out in this category as players who have done more than 100 points. So in terms of a cheap defensive enabler, you're not expecting very much at all over the course of the season, and you're expecting players to come in and just do a job for you. That kind of matches your expectations, doesn't it, in terms of the historical view of this sort of player? Definitely. I don't tend to worry about them at this stage of the season, actually, because I normally have something kind of more major to work on. I don't normally have a, a template that's worked as well as this one's working at the moment. And I'm not normally worrying about who that should be. And it occurred to me when I was thinking about this in preparation for this pod, I normally only start to review those players when I'm on a wild card. And I kind of expect that I'll have kind of tripped my way through to that point and then I can review them. You've probably got a sense then kind of five or six weeks in over who's doing well and who's not. And then I kind of go from there. Whereas at this point, I'm, we're now looking at kind of whether you use transfers for this, which yeah. is something relatively unusual, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like you really would never be looking to use transfers around here unless you're trying to enable something else or trying to kind of restructure your team a bit. And we'll come on to that when we're talking about some options, what you do with those sort of pesky midfielder slots. And yeah, that's, that's a nice segue actually onto the midfield. So the cheap midfielders between 4.5 and 5.5, Lucy, same question. What sort of points average do you think you'd be expected from those guys? I'm tempted to say even less because you're not even going to get the the odd dodgy clean sheet. I don't know, seventy five points. Yeah, you're near to so eighty seven, but that's because there's an extra category for the midfielders and the forwards. There's more midfielders than any other player category in the game, which means there are more of them. Therefore, more points are scored. But yeah, but a range of between zero to eighty seven points is kind of what you'd be expecting. So yes, I mean, what's really interesting here is that again, there weren't that many outliers in the data. Some names for you: Ryan Fraser, twenty eighteen nineteen, one hundred eighty one points at Bournemouth. The uh, Wilson Pas- season. Yeah, that was the one. Uh, Pascal Gross, who's favour of the month for some at the moment, 2016-17, scored 164 points when he first came to the Premier League. And then you're into your likes of your Harrisons at Leeds, your Zahas, your Conor Gallagher's, your Robert Snodgrasses, and your Iose Perez's for those who remember those way back when. The 
biggest example of this price bracket. So if you say John Lindstrom is the kind of the hero of the defensive one is Riyad Mahrez. So 2015-16, he was 5.5 million, scored 240 points. That record stood the test of time. I really would be surprised if that's repeated anytime soon. That was one as well, but it was very difficult to foresee. If you look at the 5.0 category, again, there's only a few outliers really. Thomas Socek at West Ham a couple of years back, literally and figuratively a colossus for many. 2019-20, 10 goals, 147 points. That's pretty good. And also Luka Miljojevic at Palace. So one year he got 166 points. The year before that, he was just 5.0, 27-18. basically. Scored those penalties. So another one for the older crowd there. But yeah, super low expectations. And the 4.5s, as you said at the start, bugger all. Honestly, bugger all. The best example here is Ashley Westwood at Burnley. He got 110 points one year. And then last year, Jacob Ramsey, 109 points. That was the second best 4.5 performance ever, which is something that I completely missed at the time. But yeah, you really shouldn't expect more than 50 points, really, for a 4.5. So yeah, midfield enablers, Lucy, 87 points max over the course of the season, barring a few sort of individual names who kind of come to us through time. But the majority of them don't really do very much over the course of the season. As you said, they are the sorts of players who can do a job for you over the short term rather than somebody you kind of want to leave in there. It helps frame it, and it's interesting to look at. It really is, just because we don't look at it, ever. Speaking of which, the forwards, my lord. There's no 4.5s who are any good. The Ashley Barnes bloke, that one a mutual friend of ours was on about, he scored 80 points a couple of years back, and he's the standout, really, in the 4.5. In the 5s, it's obviously Harry Kane back 2014-15. Emmanuel Dennis scored 130-plus last year. And then how crap this bracket is, effectively. Jordan Ayew actually holds the second and third highest 5.0 forward scores. Yeah. <laughs> he does, yeah. He managed to break 100 on a couple of occasions. He's now a midfielder, actually. Again, something that completely passed me by, because obviously, who looks at these players? I do, because I'm sad. But yeah, 2019-20, 132 points. 2017-18, 108 points. And the 5.5, a few real exceptions. Bamford, Jimenez, 2020-21, Bamford scored 194. And 2019-20, Jimenez scored, again, 194. But the ceiling is really damn low. So in reality, you see, the outlook for an enabler is this. A defender who's worth between 4 and 4.5, you should be expecting 74 points max. Midfielder, 4.5 to 5.5, 87 points max. And a forward, 4.5 to 5.5, 68 points max. Now, as you said, obviously you're not going to be owning one of these for the whole season. The likes of Lundstrand, Mares, Bamford provide obscene value. But I don't know whether that's ever going to be seen in the near term. But overall, I think that might help tailor expectations a bit, Lucy. I think so. I also put, I mean, amongst, aside from points, I also thought that you would be looking for reliable minutes, which seems somewhat hypocritical when we've put Bailey in our teams, who has already become a rotation risk in game week two. (laughs) So maybe regular minutes shouldn't be on the list i think in the ideal world though they should be and i think that's what i've tried to you know looking at options and things going forward um to try and make that a bit more of a a prominent factor just because i think we're looking at um as we have we've mentioned on many podcasts um a time when you know teams have five subs or whatever there's going to be a bit more risk around minutes so maybe that's something to factor in a little bit more note to selves pre-game week one like 4.5 midfielders for me it was always that first sub who had minutes. The classic example is Darren Fletcher when he was at West Brom. You know, he played every game. 
got I think I got one goal off the bench for him one time. You know, a classic kind of Darren Fletcher goal where it was pinball in the box and he happened to stick his stud out and it went in. I, I felt like a million dollars when that went in, seriously. But it's all about minutes for these players. It really is. But if you go above the 4.5, then it becomes something else. I think it becomes a punt slot. You know, you've got the rest of your template you're happy with, you're fairly comfortable with. Let's see what happens with Luis Diaz later on. In these sort of cheap seats, you're just hoping you'll find the one that breaks the game and sends your rank skyrocketing, at least for a week until everybody jumps on, at least, in the process. But that's the S-class outcome. Not the A-class, it's the S-class for those who play Japanese RPGs. In reality, you'll probably just get absolutely sod all from them. That should be the reality. So if anyone says, I think that this 5.5 is going to do well this season next year, just think... Nah, Tom told me he wouldn't. Then it's probably quite likely, given the course of the data that we've got, that I'm going to be right. But talk about it, we should, because the key question for this week seems to be midfield focus. So let's go with that here. We've got a question on Trippier later on. I know, Lucy, you're kind of in that situation as well. You're maybe looking what you might do with him. But the question that a lot of people are asking are what do I do with, like, so Bailey or Neto? And we've both got Bailey problem here equally apply to Neto, that's for damn sure. But if this doesn't apply to you right now, uh, the situation will definitely arise during the season. So hopefully the thinking at least will be helpful to you if you find yourself in this predicament in the future and kind of the, the way you can kind of unpack the issue and kind of help yourself out a little bit. I think there's four sort of non-wild options here. So discounting, you know, wild carding, or taking massive hits to restructure. <laughs> and ideally, you'd love to upgrade. So if, if I was to say upgrade Bailey to Martinelli, then yeah, that that's the ideal, isn't it? But yeah, there's, there's, I don't think that's entirely possible. And if you're sat with one free transfer, of course, I wouldn't move Bailey on. But hopefully this can help a little bit if you're kind of thinking about this in the future. But yeah, four things I think we'll debate merits of here are, uh, one, you buy another midfielder in the same category. So you hope you get lucky if the rest of your team looks decent. You buy a defender instead. So if you've got money in the bank or you, you kind of slightly restructure that, then we've got 0.5 million in the bank. So it's a bit more of a reality for us that we can do that. You kick the can down the road, loosely linked to the one before. So you buy a Josh the Silver or something to give you more money in the bank. Or you do absolutely nothing and you play a Neko or you play a Pereira and you burn the transfer. Let's start off with the buying a 5 or 5.5 midfielder, Lucy, and hoping to kind of shuffle the deck chairs around the Titanic, hoping you get lucky and don't sink. I mean, where are you on this particular one with your Bailey problem? Before I get on to that, I just want to tell you that Darwin Nunez has got a red card. <laughs> What? I just, literally everybody was saying, "Oh, I'm buying, I'm buying Nunez. Oh, I can't, I can't, yeah. I'm really buying. Oh, god, you know, his XGI for the last couple of games, oh, it's been through the roof, hasn't it?" Yeah, it's obviously got so high as intense that I saw it on sofa score, and then Tom's just written me a a little Darwin Nunez red note that he's come and delivered me. <laughs> Not me. We need to stress. I, oh. I, I haven't run to Sheffield. Lucy's husband's also called Tom. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, just verify. Um, yeah, got a handwritten note from my husband. Apparently, he headbutted Anderson. Well, he he was, like, you know, properly looking after him, wasn't he, in the first half? Wow, amazing, amazing. Yeah. So, wow. anyway, sorry, where were we at? Oh, we well, were talking about five and a half midfielders. I've looked at a lot of them, I've got to say. I hadn't actually explored Eze, of course, who got the assist for the Zaha goal tonight. But his, his fixtures aren't great. So we've got Villa City, Brentford, Newcastle, which I don't really like as a combination. And I've tried with these to kind of look quite closely at their fixtures because at the moment we have very little data to go on. 
Um, and in the case of some of them where we do have data, it's not worth looking at because it's terrible. So I've, I've tried to look at fixtures where possible because I think those will give you the best chance of coming up with something out of them. Um, I know FPL Review and a lot of the kind of models analytics guys are very hot on using that slot for an Everton player. So if you do have five and a half in the bank, um, they're quite high on Gray and Gordon. I wouldn't touch Gordon this week owing to the unresolved Chelsea interest. No one wants to end up with a bench Chelsea asset. So I'd probably be looking at Gray. His next three fixtures are very good. It has to be said. Forrest, we've spoken about how they look a bit dodgy defensively. Diaz has just scored, by the way. Diaz has just scored. Legends. Wow. Absolute legend. So he's just scored and Robertson's been subbed. Wow. That was a good minute for me and Tom. Not yeah. so good for some of you, though. So yeah. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, Everton have got three really good fixtures, Forest, Brentford, Leeds, but then they have Liverpool and Arsenal. So the question you really need to ask yourself there is, would three games be enough to make the transfer worth it? whilst giving you time to kind of scout out potential alternatives, look at restructuring and potentially playing a wildcard. I know a lot of people will wildcard in that period anyway, so you might think that that's enough to kind of tide you over. What are your thoughts on Everton, Tom? It's one of those where I look at the team and just think this is a championship standard team. Really is, with uh, arguably, well, not, not controversial for me to say, a championship standard manager. I just, I don't know, I, I just wonder whether... FPL reviews just off its tips on meth and vitamin at this point, really. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look at them, Ray Gray and Anthony Gordon. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it could be one of them that kind of makes sense because at the end of the day, they are kind of the key attacking threats of their team. I think with DCL out, the fixtures are kind of okay. You know, you've got Forest next. I can see people going, "Oh, Forest, yeah, sure." Um, but they've looked utterly awful, haven't they? I mean, just just meh. Is how I feel about that. I mean, I look at maybe that's yeah. going to be a recurring theme here, but neither of them jump out at me and just go, "Yeah, buy me." <laughs> yeah, and also it's the fact they're five and a half. So for those of you that have got Bailey and no money in the bank, they're irrelevant. And for those of you that are like us and you've got half a million or you've got Neto, five and a half feels like a lot for what is essentially like a kind of meh punt. I felt more excited about Bailey, and admittedly that went really wrong. But five and a half of those two is just really difficult to stomach, which then brought me on to Leeds. We've spoken about Aronson in the past, I think, between us. Um, obviously, he looked quite bright in game week one, but ultimately failed to score against Southampton in game week two. So does he really know what he's doing is the question there. If you can't <laughs> score against Saints, what are you doing? But the problem really is that one with his Chelsea this week. So if you brought him in, you'd probably look at immediately benching him, which feels a bit un- unintuitive. Mm. But then you've got a decent-ish run of Brighton, Everton, Brentford, Forest. But again, Brighton are good kind of defensively. So are you arguably going two weeks too early on that one? Potentially. I like it. He looks ex-lively, doesn't he? He's um, very um, high on the ex-lively, uh, yeah. And, and as you said, his fixtures after Chelsea do pick up. Maybe Brighton is probably one that you'd look at and kind of ignore the FDR as we've spoken about in the past and think, um, um, but hopefully he'll still be nailed as well when Sinistera gets back to full fitness. So, I mean, he could be one that you'd be looking at. I mean, maybe if you've got more money in the bank, maybe look at Rodrigo as well. I haven't really looked at him, but three goals in two games. So the non-goal scoring forward suddenly becomes a goal scoring midfielder. It's, it's a, bit, a bit crazy that really, actually. Well, Leeds fans, my friend Jordan Day and Tom Tom, they both said, you know, end of last season, he started to look very good. And apparently that's now carried through. And I can see why he's suddenly quite of interest to people. I mean, you've looked at the kind of the player side of things. And just to bring us on a bit, 
the other side of it is to look at the teams and the fixtures. And there are two teams, Brighton and Brentford, who probably are the ones that have the best fixtures going forward, right? Brentford play Arsenal in game week eight, I'm going to say. And Brighton have Liverpool and Spurs in game week 10, I think I wrote in Sports Bible last week. So Brighton have got a great run of West Ham, Leeds, Fulham, Leicester, Bournemouth, Palace. There we go. Okay, cool. So, I mean, let's go Brentford first, because I know that a lot of people, including your uh, sainted husband, have brought in Josh De Silva, which is cool. And the guy's got two goals from two shots. That total next year of 0.1. Elite Um, finisher, right? Yeah, I don't like looking at data this early. But surely that can't continue, would be the thing that I I can be wondering. I I get it, though. So if you wanted to make the early switch to get your 0.1 price rise in the bank and free up cash, completely and utterly makes sense. Yeah, I think it's just one of those ones where people need to go in with their eyes wide open. I think Mm. if you recognise that he's not going to score every game off tiny, tiny chance shot, that's not going to happen. If you just want him as an enabler and you want to free up some cash, I think there's there's plenty of merit in it. I just don't think people should delude themselves about what he offers, which is essentially a box-to-box midfielder playing for a mid-table team with decent fixtures. Yeah, we've set the expectations out brilliantly that they're going to be absolutely rubbish. But I mean, with Brentford in general, their midfield frightens me. It really does, and not in a good way. Because you've got <laughs> so many players floating around yeah. the price bracket the full list is as follows. Jensen, De Silva, Norgard, Janelle, Baptiste, Onyeka, Godos, sort of, and arguably Damsgaard too. So you've got eight players all competing for three slots. And then you've got Wissa and Lewis Potter competing for the slot alongside Tony and Buemo. And De Silva played there this weekend. The competition and the early withdrawals, I'm just really worried about that. None of these guys have played back-to-back 90 minutes outside of Mbuemo and Tony. And that thoroughly puts me off investing in Brentford's midfield. I just can't see a world where I do that because I just moved trading in Bailey, one at X-Men's risk for another. I think you only, I'd only bother with De Silva. I wouldn't look at anyone above him, but I just don't think it's worth the investment. So if you have De Silva and you, you know, stomach the fact that he won't start every game, you're kind of reinvesting the money elsewhere to upgrade another position. That kind of makes sense. I think the others that are five and five and a half, I wouldn't touch. Certainly not at this point until we've got maybe an indication that their team might have settled down a bit, but not now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's awful, isn't it? So I guess that, that leads us on to Brighton. I mean, the seagulls are flying high and I saw a few people sort of bigging up gross on the timeline recently. It's really the danger of looking at stats with two game weeks. He's had the most shots and big chances of midfielders in the price bracket. But that's um, four shots, three big chances in two games. And he's scored two goals but he's never scored more than three goals a season in the past five seasons. I mean, I mean, obviously we're all sceptical of small sample sizes, but it's tough to divine much from what we've seen in the minute around here. He's 5.6 now, isn't he? Which yeah. is effectively six for yeah. a lot of people now. Obviously we try to say, oh, we keep money in the bank, so that isn't the case. But obviously once he goes into the next tier, it basically is. So you're basically looking at him versus the other sixes, which kind of takes him into a new category, I kind of want to say. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So what's left? Alex McAllister is the one who comes out on FPL Review for value. But I think that's X-Men's based at the moment. Played all every minute, hasn't he? That's it. So FPL Libero, a friend of mine, messaged me about him saying he'd started 22 in the last 24 since breaking into Brighton's first team. Not amazing numbers, really. So 3.4 XGI per 90 um, over the last seasons. I think it was 16 games or so. But those low expectations are true of the entire universe of 5.5 and below 
So that 3.4 per 90 and his really meagre SGI actually means he's second for SGI over those final 16 or so game weeks last season amongst midfielders who cost 5.5 or below. So it's just one of those where you kind of like, you buy him thinking, as we said a second ago, yeah, that's going to play. Uh, that, that's literally it. Elsewhere, we'll consider two fives. Lalana and Solly March, who is a poo, a reverse out opposition pick, um, who Lucy's going to speak about in just a second. I'll go with Lana very quickly. Yeah, getting on a bit and not going to be recorded in the full 90s, but to the eye, he's been playing in a more advanced role. I had a very good header, uh, saved by Pope this weekend too, and noticeably in quite a decent role for the Seagulls as they go forward. I mean, he could be a punt. This is a punt slot. And Lucy, I know you've looked at Solly March of all people too. Just to, just to comment on Lana. I don't know whether this is my Saints bias or my ex-Saints as he's next saint but I just always with Lana feel like, A, as you've kind of mentioned, you you won't get the full 90 minutes out of him because I don't think he's ever done 90 minutes in the history of his life, like in his whole life. The guy just, just, just doesn't have the fitness for it. But it's not even just that. It's the fact that he has such an awful injury record that I feel like I'm almost booking in a transfer with him. I feel like I'm just adding in another potential issue there, which I don't particularly like. But anyway, now that I've just smash that one um <laughs> <laughs> Solly March yeah he I mean his touch heat map's okay um he is as you said reverse out of position aka poo which I can't deny although he looks like he's getting into quite advanced areas he's obviously started both the last two games he's averaging 82 minutes per game based off two simple on there yes he is out of position but they push them quite high and if you're considering that like Trossard for example was playing wing back on the other side you know not so bad he had a couple of shots on target a shot blocked he's kind of getting into the generally the right areas a big chance missed obviously i can't really use xg at this stage but yeah there are the kind of the indicators that he might be something a bit better than your basic five but again i can't really recommend him with any kind of strength the other person i had jotted down um, to go completely off piece is a rebo because just because I had a few people DM me and say a rebo he looks really exciting he scored a goal should I get him at the moment as I kind of mentioned on the first pod um, our fixtures are terrible I wouldn't go there for a while and I think there's also the p- problem that Saints only got into the game against Leeds last week because they switched back to their old system so I think there's quite a lot of like um, formational and kind of broader issues around the teams that are going to need to be resolved before I even touch a Saints player but I do think if you're looking at a wild card maybe later on he might be worth looking at um but yeah I've I'm basically on a Brighton player an Everton player or just give up really <laughs> just give up in general no I, I completely I completely see that and it's, it's definitely one which is quite yeah, it's a bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? So you've got like of KDH at, at Leicester, more advanced role, a punt again at five. I'm just not sure about Leicester in general, but I think that same logic could apply to Leon Bailey. I'm just not sure yeah. about Aston Villa, but he was there. Yeah, Leicester are a funny one. They look quite a different team to how they looked last season. And there seems to be a lot of speculation around a lot of their players in terms of, you know, whether they're happy, whether they, you know, are moving on. It's, it's a bit funny, funny one that you don't expect almost from Leicester who have been kind of no. historically best of the rest. Yeah. No, I agree. And then, then, you know, you really start to get into the weeds. So Michael Lowe, who I'm not picking on here, I'm not picking on you, Michael, at all. Um, and you, in, you also acknowledge this, said, um, I can't believe I'm asking about Xhaka 
uh, from an FPL perspective. Previous me, he says, would be absolutely appalled. But is Xhaka a good escape route from Bailey, given the advanced role he's playing in the Arteta system? Good positioning, uh, decent fixtures, of course, as we know, and just 5.0. And also, uh, you have Harvey Elliott, who's now playing for Liverpool at the moment, in that kind of you know, Wijnaldum-y sort of midfield where the midfield vortex where none of the players ever of interest to us. The 5.5 again could be fairly interesting. Uh, Xhaka, uh, 12 points uh, against Leicester and pretty good with Golden Assist, to be honest. But I think both of these players, neither of these players, I should probably say better, uh, are of particular interest to me just because I think they end up tripling you on teams where you'd otherwise want to be tripled. Um, and I think that, that kind of is, is all we can really say about that. And Jack is a disciplinary disaster is my only other Yeah, thing. red card won't happen. And we don't really know what will happen when Tierney's back and Zinchenko might end up playing there. I mean, he's not going to be unceremoniously dropped. This isn't football manager. Um, but nonetheless, you could see that. I mean, I mean honestly, I don't really know here. Um, and But I think you could feasibly just kind of think, you know what? I'm happy with the rest of my team. I'm just going to mess around with these guys, make one transfer and see how it goes from there. But yeah, the, the teams that you specified, I'd be 100% with you on those if I was going to go there. Second thing we could possibly do is buy a 4.5 million defender instead. So I know not, not a lot of you are in this position, but maybe you could be if you did make a move or do something like that and leave Bailey to rot as maybe moving him on isn't particularly viable. And this could be the value play because... We know that defenders are more valuable than midfielders. And we know that overall, we might find that a defender would stick around in our team for a bit longer than a cheap midfielder would. Because at the end of the day, we could kind of say, you know what, great first sub to have a player like Lewis Dunk or something like that. And as I was saying, um, I was talking to Lee Jackson, who's Planet FPL's Aston Villa pod and DM earlier on today, made a really good point that if you keep Bailey and he scores, if he scores in Crystal Palace, when Gerard could well revert to three up top against Palace's four at the back, maybe he went with the two up top because they were playing Everton's five last weekend. If he scores, he could be up to 5.1 and 5.2 and suddenly come straight back into the conversation. So if you could, this is, it's a way of kicking the can down the road, really. Coutinho is out as well, isn't he? I think he got he got sub 59th minute with an injury. So maybe it could be worth getting a defender in because none of the midfield options other than KDH and Gross have scored. And if we're honest, none of them have put their hands up, really. So maybe you could have a Nico Williams or something like that and just think, you know what, I'm going to upgrade that slot. I'll go for that. Again, I think Brentford and Brighton, purely fixtures-based, your guys here. Uh, Rico Henry at... Brentford or Lewis Dunk or Tarek Lanty at Brighton, probably the ones I'd look at. I mean, Rico's quite good because, I mean, we, I said I, I get the willies about the Brentford midfield. Well, Rico gives me an into their attack sort of because he plays fairly advanced, a very decent heat map, few shots to good fixtures. I mean, he could want to throw in uh, Fulham next and Dunk at Brighton is great value. I, I don't know on this either. I was going to ask you, um, for people like me who aren't yet tripled up on Arsenal, as an Arsenal fan, what are your views on Saliba? Uh, he got very unlucky obviously scored their own goal. I think in general he's definitely earned his spot. I think that when Tommy Essie comes back, you'll probably see him take the right-back slot. He is the specialist right-back, although he can play centre-back. I think you'll probably find that it would be Gabriel and Saliba. The thing is, is that, as we said during the price pod, this year, it really isn't so much about the best 11, it's about the squad. And I think that White and Saliba 
I wouldn't be surprised if for whatever reason, tactically, they may want a more muscular individual and big bill uh, over uh, Ben White for a certain game. So I think both of them will be kind of jousting it out whilst Gabriel is kind of the mainstay, which is why I started with Gabriel. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that he, he could be one to definitely that I'd be considering as well in the 4.5s if, if he wants to do that. But that could be a nice way if you just kind of think, you know what, it's not worth spending a free transfer on Bailey. I mean, have you thought about that? Just kind of thinking, you know what, right, Leon, you've annoyed me and you're going to rot on my bench instead of going in the bin. Yeah, I mean, what you have highlighted, which I hadn't really considered, is the idea that maybe we're giving up on Bailey too quickly and that maybe as a result of that Coutinho injury or as a result of Gerard kind of tweaking his tactics, that Bailey could come back into it, which, you know, is a, is a decent idea. I think the thing that, that puts me off this is that the idea that you've therefore, if you bench Bailey because you've upgraded your four, your fifth defender up to a four and a half, if you do that, you're kind of essentially putting a five million on the bench in a spot where you would normally have a four and a half. So I feel, it feels to me like you're kind of wasting half a million, which at a stage of the season where you don't really have a lot of money and you're kind of, everything's a bit tied up. That doesn't feel like an optimum way of managing your squad from a kind of like funds perspective. Um, that said, yeah, I hadn't really considered the highlight idea that Bailey could come back in. So maybe being a bit more patient with him might be a better bet if you're if you're really not sold on on the alternative. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I mean, it's definitely one to just maybe think about. Josh Ball, who won FPL a couple of years ago, said, make variants work for you. And if you move players out too early, you may well find that they end up biting you on the backside. Admittedly, I've got some real issues with uh, Stephen Gerrard's manifestation of, uh, of Aston Villa, but Crystal Palace and West Ham next to... Palace have looked pretty good tonight. Uh, they look good in the first half, obviously, in the second half, so I've been sat here recording. I'll, I'll watch the rest another day. But, I mean, that could, might not be the worst, and it might just not be kind of good value uh, to be moving him on. The other thing I was going to say on that one, in the whole idea of upgrading um, your, your first defender, is that are you t- potentially, because you don't want to give up on Bailey, or you kind of don't <laughs> want to deal with Bailey, potentially giving up with Nico Williams quite early, who I know people have been quite warm on. Now, I think they're being too warm on him because if you look at the data from Forrest's XGC, which looks awful, I mean, he's probably not going to keep that many clean sheets. But he was getting into kind of shooting positions. So are you potentially overlooking, and I'm not going to say a Lundstrom because he's clearly not going to be a Lundstrom, but you're potentially overlooking value there because you don't know how to deal with value elsewhere, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I just... I'm just not sure on Forest because the data is just showed that the XG was pretty similar in that game. They rode their luck, really. And obviously, there's a penalty as well, but Henson saved. Um, yeah. So I think, I think yeah, it, it, you're not expecting clean sheets. And I mean, I watched of... that game and they were very, very lucky. Uh, yeah, West Ham hit the bar twice. So, But I mean, th- that kind of links to option three, which is kick the can down the road. So you either two things. One is you kind of just buy Josh the Silver or something. Uh, 4.5 maybe I don't don't know who's 4.5 now that you'd be worth looking at maybe like a Lavia at Southampton who's going to play every game nonetheless like an an ex-min sort of king and give yourself 1 million in the bank and play uh, Pereira or Neko next week and reassess so you've got two free transfers or if you really want to get rid of Bailey you could do that or you could burn the transfer you know each transfer burned is a good thing because it shows you that we didn't need to do very much. It's an enviable position to be in, to have nothing to do. 
and maybe there is as we'll speak about in just a sec a bit of busy work about this uh, but i mean have you thought of either of those like kicking the can down the road either by doing absolutely nothing or just getting a 4.5 in and thinking sod it give myself a million i'll figure out from here i have thought about the idea of bringing in a four and a half what I couldn't work out is what that would really kind of open up for me from a kind of formational kind of reinvestment point of view over the half million that I've already got. I mean, I think there are plenty of value options at four and a half, which is where I'd be using it on the on the kind of Nico Williams spot or in the in the trippiest spot. I think five to five and a half is a perfectly good bracket. And I don't think six gets you a lot more. So those are the kinds of spots I'd be looking to upgrade. So I didn't really see what I could kind of get out of it. As for burning the transfer, I just don't think Bailey's so worth it or so worth the kind of gamble that he might play that you wouldn't try and do something with it. So I, that's off the table for me, I think. Yeah, he's definitely not L'Oreal, is he? I think... <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm I'm between those two. So either I use 0.5 and just say, all right, Neko, move up to 0. to a 4.5, or I keep the structure as it is and just say, right, Bailey, I'll shuffle you on. I think those are the two sort of options I've got, and I I think I'm I kind of want to keep the structure as it is in some ways. I just just feel like it served me pretty well as we'll come on to the game reviews, especially after that Diaz goal. Wow. I think we're, we're doing pretty well. Um, and there's definitely a question about whether that's due to you that I'm doing well. <laughs> um, but I just kind of, I kind of just think, well, the rest of my team is a okay. So why would I mess with that too much? And should we just take a risk on someone like a McAllister or you know, a, a player around that area and just, just, just hope for the best again. I, 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 I again, it's, it's all a punt. I guess to summarise this sort of thing, I mean, Lucy, cheap players and neighbours and FPL from having this discussion, where are you with it? I think there's a danger of overthinking the whole thing and, and maybe kind of making too many changes elsewhere in terms of what you were saying in terms of structure. Um, trying to get the very most out of the edges of your team without kind of thinking about the the broader picture, which is the the 10 other players that will get you the majority of your points and what I wouldn't want to do is spend too much a time and energy and b transfers and funds on getting these spots bang on when if you if we're honest these players aren't going to be around when your next wildcard comes and you may have found that you've got other opportunities elsewhere so as much as I like to spend a podcast talking about what we should do Again, it's about managing your expectations and about thinking about how you can do things efficiently and quickly rather than kind of spending three weeks swinging in and out of different options, trying to work out the best way of, of doing things. Uh, these guys are like going to Sainsbury's and buying vegetables because you know they're not going to be around next week. But dur <laughs> during the course of the week, they're going to make loads of very nice meals, <laughs> potentially. And I think that that's kind of the way I look at them. Like, oh, you know what? Doing podcasts, you really look deeply into things a lot. But I never thought I'd go so far into the weeds on these sorts of players. I mean, they are. like Your 11th man, the ones who you just don't expect much from. They, they could be part of a really nice recipe and do very well one week. With these sort of guys, if you get an assist, you know, you're, you're buzzing. You're buzzing, mate. But as I said in the data, expectations should be low. Although we always love to find it exceptions to the rule, which make life easy. 
in today's mass saturation though if you did get you know a proper banger they wouldn't last very long before every tom dick and harry was on him but i mean if anything about invalidating this pod too much this kind of player as lucy said a few times really shouldn't be at the forefront of your thinking like it's a nice side point it's an absorbing musing and it's something really to occupy the mind while everything else is traveling on okay um and ultimately i think these players are a bit of a pump chances which concern them obviously should therefore have diminished importance they're part of a grander scheme to help move the more impactful pieces around they're just arranging deck chairs on the titanic as it sinks as i said and that should be duly noted um we're obviously always in the hump for the next big option um but i think that with this sort of thing i think this week i mean an- another thing you could possibly do is say right i'm going to move bailey out to 4.5 and upgrade Neko up to a 5.0 but I just kind of think there's more important things around the corner that I want to spend those precious transfers on so this is the sort of thing that I've kind of from discussing this I'm more kind of thinking you know what I might just you know on ton take another pump with another player barring injury or something else coming up of course over the course of this week because there's always going to be a bigger transfer there's always going to be a bigger fish um, I think that's probably it on enablers all right, let's take a break there and we move on to everything else after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and using our sort of Novo template uh, of how we're going to run this podcast, now it's time to get into our game reviews, especially for two assists this week, because as we've been sort of remarking on during the pod, the Liverpool game has just finished with a 1 1 draw. Let's get into it. How did we do? Lucy, you did better than me which I feel like is going to be fairly common for me to say during the course of this season. You're a new Tom. You're <laughs> a new man. We have one player different, didn't we? And I thought like that's been the difference this week. Yes, we did have one player different. So where Tom has Gabrielle, I have Trippier. So that's that's basically the difference between us this week. I got 84 in total, assuming that the bonus on the Liverpool game doesn't move, meaning that only Bailey and Salah were my blanks. Um, obviously kind of star of the show was Jesus who I'm sure he was for millions of you out there and um, <laughs> generally the rest of the team did pretty well um, I think the the City double up continues to be um, a pretty important difference for you know dividing templates at the moment so I know a lot of people will have gone for probably double Liverpool at the back and some have gone for double city at the back that obviously double city has worked out much better as it turns out in these first two so that's that's been a big one um obviously Trippier has come up with back-to-back seven pointers for me but I think I'll probably be looking at options for him um because his fixtures turn quite rough and it turns out that we were the right side of the Haaland versus Salah captaincy dilemma despite the fact that Haaland only got an assist um, so yeah, Tom, I don't think you've got much more to say of you, given that we've got the same team, basically. Yeah, no, 78 for me, uh, 65k. So in the top 100k after two weeks, this is like proper dr- dreamland stuff for me, um, having not seen a five-digit rank. And I'm going to guess probably about, I don't know, when did GTA start? Yeah, well, six years ago. No, you must have seen it somewhere in between then. <laughs> I think I did at one point. This is, this is like saying, did you see Halley's Comet comment ever? Have you ever seen a, a a Ferrari on the road? Yeah, I'm sure I have at some point, you know. Uh, but no, um, yeah, very, very good. Uh, very, very good. Same for me, except obviously Gabrielle got one pointer and Trippier didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, that 
the coin landing right, really, on the Sissy double up at the back. Yeah, it meant that we got Diaz as well. So it's just one of those things. I think there were plenty of reasons to go the other way. I mean, I had a draft that was double Liverpool defence and a different 8 million. I think it was probably Mount. So it's just those kind of fine margins that we've got. Oh, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous. Like, Holland eight touches in that game. Um, which is open, but still managed to beat out Salah. I, mean, I think it was just to mention that for a second. I, I've seen a little bit of that uh, going around. People kind of saying, you know what? Yeah, Holland, and you got eight touches in the game. Ha ha ha. Oh, Lukaku. But I think, you know, 0.5 XGI in the game, half of what he'd had over the last couple of games. But a point I make there, which is a very rare one, because normally I'm more kind of on the stats end rather than the eye test end is that a lot of time watching the game in full you see things you miss if you're purely dwelling on the data so during that game there are so many moments that could have gone Holland's way we've all seen that kind of Foden still where he could have passed it um, alongside that there was a cross in the box he wasn't too far away from a couple of one one versus ones that didn't quite fall his way I think those chances will continue to come. I know in the recess of many minds, people may be thinking, oh, you know, such and such did very well this week because they had KDB captain. And I can see why, because maybe you think, oh, Holland will occupy defenders, allowing KDB to do his thing. But in this one week, I feel, feel like it's one of those things where sliding doors, as you said, fine margins really played a big role. And I think they'll come around. But I can really understand why those who sold came for Holland in particular might be a bit pissed off at what kind of happened this week that's for damn sure uh, yeah unlucky basically unlucky um but i'm sure you're a bit pissed off at me saying that because of what happened last week which was again unlucky what did nick do by the way oh yes sorry i forgot to mention so uh poor old nick he'll be on next week i'm sorry nick <laughs> the, i didn't mean that the curse of the pods and the curse of being triumphant on the pods definitely came back to haunt him 54 points this week for Nick unfortunately no Jesus as he said last week um, and it was had Zaka instead and Zaka's two versus Jesus's uh, 19 it's not worked out as well uh, for Nick as it probably would have and definitely see what Nick's going to do next week or we'll find out what he's done next week to arrest this because obviously he's got two free transfers as well Um, but yeah I mean obviously uh, very 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 small base size and two two game weeks gone no one's won or lost fpl yet or one the season isn't trash or good yet we just need to see what happens there all right moving on to them to the market forces and uh, it's definitely one of those things which uh i guess is still in motion we might see well hopefully we'll see Luis diaz bought a lot because i own him and but uh, and we'll definitely kind of reflect a question which i'm assuming is going to start arising about andrew robertson uh, later on in the questions but so far this game week we've seen a few things a lot of movement in the midfielder bracket slightly above actually the one we were speaking about a minute ago so there's been sales for likes of coutinho has been sold by almost 150,000 managers lots of rashford's who I did pick out in pre-season and swiftly sort of moved away from as we got closer to game week one, as I was not surprised by uh, 230k, nice and disarray. Um, Bailey has been sold by almost 200,000 managers now, um, so must be very close to affecting a drop there. And Jane Sancho has been sold by 168k managers. In their place, we've got the likes of Martinelli, um, who's risen 0.2. I think he's the first player to have risen 0.2 this season. 
Harland actually was around the same time actually, but he's been brought in by an additional 540,000 managers. Rodrigo, after three goals in two games, 400,000 managers brought him in. Josh De Silva, my 320,000 managers have seen enough hmm. and brought him into affecting a prize rise. And Kevin De Bruyne has been brought in by 150,000 managers. Uh, Jesus, shockingly, I'm not sh really too sure, Lucy, where these people have come from. Has also been brought in. Uh, Three hundred thousand people have brought him in, and I can only assume these are people who have sold him. <laughs> so last week, two hundred sixty-five thousand managers sold him. So it feels like it's a kind of a solid situation there. I remember a couple of years ago, where, where people were selling him, buying him, selling him, buying him. I mean, what do you make of a sort of yo-yo sort of pick? It's one of those things we kind of think, well, why, right? I think there's always a slight impatience. With players that people perhaps weren't sold on, but kind of followed the herd on, and then they kind of come up with themselves with an excuse as to why they were definitely right in the first place, and they kind of reverse it, and then it's obviously you get burnt, so you kind of want to to get back on track again. I think you see it all all the time at this stage of the season, particularly where we don't have clarity kind of necessarily on options that weren't part of kind of your typical template. When we don't have clarity yet about those people were much more likely to oscillate between one or two options. Um, but, you know, mm. it's a great way to, to waste your free transfer. So well, well done, everyone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But this has already happened. So it happened after the 19-pointer. <laughs> so, but, but, I mean, we'll talk about this, actually. There's a question on kind of reconfiguring your team, whether you kind of basically swallow your pride. So I can completely swipe, see why people have done it. And also being sold, Coutinho and Cash, who are both carrying injury issues, 330,000 and over 200,000 people. Villa have just been a big defensive kind of disappointment. I think a lot of people looked at them. I looked at them quite closely in that Trippier-Gabriel spot that we both talked about um, at length. I, lots of people put Villa in there and I think they, they've really disappointed there. And I think you're probably feeling a little bit burnt if you overlooked Arsenal or, or Newcastle. Right, uh, on to the Min League, and the Min League code is J-U-X-X-X-E. I can't make a song about that. I tried to get a WGTA one, but as, as I said to Nick last week, I sat there for about 25 minutes, half an hour, longer than I'll care to admit, trying to get WGTA to come up if you reconfigure the code. I couldn't find one, and this is one I settled on as being most memorable. Um, <laughs> in first this week, there are three managers up there Isaac Lee with Mahomes alone, he got 84 points. Sack of Potatoes, <laughs> Alex Terry, 83 points. And in third, Maestro Kim with Rorick FC. And what's really interesting about Maestro Kim is that he captained Jesus for a massive 38-point haul. The rest of his team, I'm assuming it's I'm assuming it's a he, but the rest of their team, I should probably say, is says decided the untemplate sporting lights of Havertz, Sancho. That's how gross. I mean, that's a that's that's impressive foresight. I just kind of wonder about the merit of having David De Gea as your goalkeeper, uh, Kim. That's for damn sure. That means that we're down to joint four for what happens next. Honest cheats, Donald Donald Mendes, who's seven six this week, and Tom Renshaw, who I know pretty well, uh, the founder of Beer Club in. Joint fourth, Weasley's magic wand. Both those guys, Captain Salah, both done very well there. Loads of players uh, rounding off the top ten, all in equal sixth. This is the case earlier on in the season. So I'm a football team by Ed Straw, FTID, FCSG, Wangu, Manzod, Z, uh, Denzel, Mashiri, Ragrington, Stanley, Craig Murphy, and Yomi V at 
T at Yomi Vata uh, have, have all made their way up to 165 points. Really good work by those guys. Uh, another Jesus captain by Yomi there, taking up to 82 points. But again, a bit of an unorthodox team with the likes of Diego Carlos, Havertz, and Demarai Gray sat in that team. But yeah, very well done, everybody. It'll be very interesting to see how those are sustained because obviously it's all a bit of a chaotic environment early on in the season. Right, so let's move on to listener questions. The dessert of the podcast after having your veg. Lucimulated is the first one. Friend of the pod, Jack, at FPL underscore underscore Jack, the man with the loudest laugh uh, at any FPL meets in London, says, you've had a great start to the season, Tom. Have you changed your approach or is it a case of getting lucky of never before? Has Lucy been a positive influence on you? Well, I think that Lucy is a positive influence on any Tom that comes into her life. That that seems for damn sure. Generally, it's it's been two weeks, so any summary judgment is probably not something I'd ever subscribe to. But it's been very, very nice to do okay for once. Like we were saying uh, in the break, that I think this is my best start since I started looking at OR, which is about kind of you know, five, six years ago. And my feeling is that. Uh, as it always is when it goes well in FPL, my my overriding emotion is relief rather than joy because I've been conditioned that way due to things going so badly over the last few years. I mean, I, I think with Lucy, it's obviously a good it's obviously a good sign. <laughs> it's it's a good thing to have someone like her around who's actually realistic and is able to kind of say that's a pipe dream. Shut up, that's stupid. And I project that influence is is yet to come. Really, I think the start is always really template. We've gotten. Lucky. Uh, the start still is so template. I mean, and I've done okay the last couple of seasons following it. Not quite as well as this, but you know what I mean. But I think it was middle of the season, you know, kind of January is when typically things fall apart for me. But yeah, I think positive signs of good influence in general. That's for sure. Lucy, what do you think? Do you think you pulled me back from the abyss in, on occasions yet thus far? I think you're a long-term project, Tom, so I won't take any credit just yet, um, other than the Edison, which you were a very, very clear sceptic of, so you know, I'll, t- I'll take that. But yes, I think we'll, we'll review in a few weeks and if it's worked. And also, you know, if our fortunes continue to go in the same line, I assume as our teams diverge, which should happen eventually, we might think about it differently. So what's funny is that every every time over the last couple of years when we've kind of chatted in group chat or on, on WhatsApp about what we're doing, I think our thoughts have always been quite similar. It's just been that one kind of screw up somewhere along the line has meant that I'm talking about doing this move about 300k and you're like, yeah, oh, I mean, oh God, I mean, I could get me an extra 1k on my kind of 5k rank. I mean, but hopefully, hopefully that's going to be a good thing for me. Hopefully it'll be a good season. Who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Right. Uh, moving on to something less uh, self-indulgent. Uh, tripping. So Sam FPL Pricey says for those looking to hop off like Trippier, uh, wave Lucy. Do you have any confidence in Kukureya or the Spurs winbacks yet? If not, who else might be viable? And jumping on this as well, FPL says, uh, friend of pod Sai asks if Kukurea is a viable alternative to Reese James. I mean, take it away, Lucy. What are you thinking of doing with Trippier? Yeah, so Trippier, I think the temptation there is to say that he's got two back-to-back sevens. I should keep him. And I have explored that. And it's it's still possible that I might. But I think that's probably one of those ones where you can be tempted by past performance into keeping someone that isn't necessarily the best option. So... We haven't really seen him providing attacking returns yet. 
And he now has three, I mean, two of the next three quite tough fixtures, starting with Man City next week. So I am looking at potentially moving him on, either as an alternative to the whole Bailey conundrum or or maybe just doing that and ignoring Bailey. I had hoped that after their break versus Saints that we'd get to see... Um, I never know how to say his name. Which guy? The wing-back from Spurs. Uh, Perisic? No. Cessna? Oh, Matt Darcy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and Perisic start, um, especially after they dropped in price. Given that one of them didn't come off the off the bench, that's off the table. And Perisic did come on, but you'd think he starts soon. But at 5.4, that seems like a lot of a gamble to me. Especially if you get on the wrong side of that and he doesn't start again, then his price is probably going to tumble quite quickly on you. Um, so the Spurs guys are kind of off the table for me at this moment in time. In a couple of weeks, we might get enough clarity that you feel confident about doing it. So there may be an argument that you want to kind of hold off on that type of transfer. But I generally think it's worth looking elsewhere. I know Kukurea was raised on that question as well. I'm quite tempted by Kukurea. I was talking to um, FPL Stats Dan, um, if anyone follows him. He's, he's very good on Chelsea. He, he was saying that he thinks it's quite likely that he'll play either at left wing back or left centre back where needed. Um, seems to be very fit and kind of ready for Tuchel's system. So he seems like he might get minutes at least in the short term and then we kind of are in a position to probably reassess when it comes to a wild card so yeah he's definitely firmly on my list what I would say though is that I'm looking at him as an addition to James not an alternative to him and I don't think that Kukure is going to offer you what James offers you at a million pounds less that's Mm. not the case what James offers I think in terms of open play goal threat is fairly unique, I think, amongst established Premier League defenders. I think even, you know, the likes of Trent, very good on the assists, but generally isn't getting that much from a kind of goals perspective from open play. So I think he's pretty unique and and not someone that I would compromise on. But that doesn't mean Kukure is off the table entirely. In terms of other alternatives at that price point, there's obviously Walker and Zinchenko who have gone above that £5 million price point. If you've got the money in the bank there, I think they're worth looking at. You've obviously got Gabriel, who Tom's already on, who I think is equally a good option. And then, of course, you can look at the four and a halfs potentially to free up some cash, especially if you think you've got other areas you might want to improve. So again, um, back to Saliba, Duncan, Henry, who we've already discussed. I think looking at moving on Trippier makes plenty of sense. And I think there are actually loads of options. I just don't think they're the options we expected to have at the beginning of the season. Bruce James is golf for it. I mean he's is he a descendant of Marcos Alonso basically in, in that in, in that area. Yeah absolutely. And you look at the Spurs wing bats as you said, I mean there's gonna be so much rotation, subbing off there, assess removed in the 57th minute to make a tactical change to the shape. I mean that's that's gonna be something that pervades the whole season I think and I just think as next men's risk, ooh not for me. Not for me Clive. Kukurea, I mean Tushel was actually really complimentary about him after the game, saying he was a very intelligent player, great choices, safe in the ball, good at playing the ball through the lines. Also said that in contrast to Chilwell, Chilwell is good for substitutions because he's a high-speed, intense runner. But after his long injury, he lost, he lacks a bit of rhythm and feeling for the matches. I think that's a decent assessment, I think. Um, I think you can feel okay about that. So if you can't reach Reese James, for the short term at least, Kukurea is a good pickup. Um, I, I can't really see too much wrong with that. And Chelsea's run actually is, is pretty decent from now. They don't play another top six team until Liverpool in game week eight. 
And the next one of features takes him the likes of Fulham, Leeds straight away, and Southampton in game week five. Uh, so I mean, couldn't get easier than that. Exactly. I mean, Lucy mentioned Rico Henry or Dunk. If you want to go down, Gabriel Zinchenko are pretty decent ideas. I know, I know we didn't get a clean sheet against Leicester, but I wouldn't shut the door on us either. Well, I mean, we don't play a decent top six team until Spurs in game week nine. Uh, we do play United in game week six, but let's, let's not be worrying about that one. Um, oh, I meant to mention, actually, FPL Review is quite keen on me getting dire. So if you were, didn't have appetite for the wing backs at Spurs in terms of the risk around their minutes, FPL Review liked dire. I don't know if I like dire, but no. statistically, maybe he's the man. I feel like that's like an achievement unlock to buy Eric Dyer. I feel like that's the kind of maybe that would suit you. Like that's the sort of you or Nick transfer that I'd expect to be buying some someone like Eric Dyer. Just, just I think that like that's the most kind of boring transfer I could ever imagine. That I've actually gone out and bought Eric Dyer. Dear me, I'm not sure. You you just make it attractive. I wasn't even like, and now I'm like, oh, maybe if it's a me transfer, I should do it. (laughs) Fair play. Well, the other thing you could do is keep Trippier. I mean, you could cover him for three and five. Andreas has got Brentford's this week, and he's got Brighton in game week five, which is admittedly not the best game in the world, but they're both at home. I feel like I've got a chance of getting a clean sheet out of someone for those fixtures. I just don't think I'm going to get anything out of Andreas that isn't just... You but you've got, you've got Bailey still with as well. I mean, you know... I've you got can... two free transfers. I could do both. Are you going to do both, though? I mean, next week... I mean, it seems unlikely of... that I'll do both, but I could. Something worse could happen. It's about kind of prioritising. Because you know, Trippier, he's still the central figure of Newcastle. It's on the set pieces, the fourth highest number of BPS points in terms of defenders and in the top 10 overall. You've clearly I mean, looked into this to try and convince <clears throat> you, haven't you? It's just just worth kind of mentioning that you could focus on Bailey, one free transfer, done this week, just shove someone else in. I mean, you've got cover for Trippier from the, last, the next couple of weeks. Um, for, by all means, go on Gabriel, because I love the guy. It there is be, a it... real tension there, though, isn't there? Because the Trippier spot feels like the, the kind of opportunity to leverage more value out of your team, but the Bailey spot feels like more of a problem. So it's, I mean... I, I could go back with the balls on this lots, I think. Yeah. Um, or I could just do both. Yeah, you could do. It depends if it's worth using two fresh, precious transfers on. I'm not sure about that. Uh, it might be worth tenuously throwing in a question, which I think would have been asked if we asked the question, what do you want us to, us to talk about tonight now? Which is double Liverpool defence owners, what do you do? Those who've known Robertson and Trent, Trent's obviously managed to get one bonus tonight, was on two for a bit. Another clean sheet busted, Lucy. I mean, if you own Robertson, what would you be thinking right now? I don't think I would be moving yet. Maybe maybe that's because I'm kind of the stubborn template person that I am. But I don't think there was a huge deal in the kind of tension between Diaz and Robertson. Like, I think there were really good arguments one way or another. And I think you've just got quite unlucky at the beginning. Palace from the first half that I saw before we started recording weren't offering a lot apart from some pretty rapid counter-attack. It wasn't like, you know, Liverpool were being played off the pitch. I just think you've got quite unlucky and they've got Man United next to, let's be honest, they can't organise anything, can they, let alone a football team. I, I just don't think I'd be looking at it seriously yet. Kind of the main attraction I was thinking in terms of moving Robertson on was that it would free you up a Liverpool spot so you could look at Nunez. But obviously he's off the table now because of that headbutt. So I just don't think I'd be looking yet, but maybe that's just too conservative. What would you be looking, Tom? I, I might be, but equally the next, I'd be looking at the next kind of three games for Liverpool and thinking, oh, 
do I want to be moving on Nasser, who is incredibly attacking? And I don't know. I don't know Robertson. The first half, I just I had the willies about not owning him. To be honest, because you know, I think, yeah. United, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Everton, and Wolves in the next five. Three of them are at home. Admittedly, they've just gotten two draws, but there's going to be a bounce back to this, isn't there, really? I mean, there were phases of play where Robertson was basically playing inside Diaz. Diaz was kind of more withdrawn in a wide area, and, and Robertson had taken this kind of inside channel where he was in a more advanced area than Diaz. I mean, he could have quite easily scored in that first half um, today. So I just don't think I'd be... I'd be there yet. Yeah. I mean, I can understand three or four game weeks in if it's still the case. And you could say, yeah, well, then it's too far down the line and you've left it too late. But he's a proven FPL investment who always does well, who seems to have as much attacking freedom as ever and is playing teams that could easily yield chances. I just. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not worth it. So, I mean, you've got. A question, perhaps, as I said, second, as I mentioned a second ago, which is maybe a bit outdated now, <laughs> funnily enough. Uh, so Dave at FPL Pops Mug asked if 8.0 mids have been overhyped. Tony, Jesus, Darwin, whoops, Robbo, whoops, and Cancelo and others may have killed that slot. I think maybe this is an example of how we shouldn't be too reactionary. I'm not accusing you, Dave, of being reactionary, but it's, it's one of those things where you can't take a couple of game weeks of data with all of the twists and turns that football can take um, and start to think, oh, this is rubbish. This is gone now. This is all kind of nonsense. I mean, the, all these players, 8.0, Lucy, they're all high potential players, aren't they? No one's returned two out of two in the 8.0 slots. Kulu returned last week, as did Madison, as did Saka. Admittedly, he's been really quiet at Saka from an Arsenal point of view. There's an assist for that own goal, in inverted commas, that assist. But you know, he's been fairly quiet because of uh, the Jesus and Martinelli link-up. Uh, Mount's been disappointing. Madison got, clean, got an assist last week. Foden this week has done very well. And Diaz um, has scored, despite looking very peripheral in the first half. I mean, I'm not too sure about this because people have got Cancelo and Jesus of Dave's list. Tony, maybe, I think, given the Brentford features we spoke about, could come in the reckoning. But, I mean, surely we can't be rising off this price bracket right now. I don't think so. I think it's quite easy to have, you know, Cancelo, Robertson, Jesus. I mean, I, I think plenty of people have got them and got, you know, something going on in the £8 million bracket. Um, I think structurally it makes sense to have that slot open, particularly given that we're quite unconvinced of the options in the midfield bracket under 8 million so you know I always appreciate that people say you can get better value at the, in defence and I'm sure we're in a position where we probably all like you know 7 or 8 defenders that's not the case so we have to fill up those midfield spots and unless you're talking about the four and a half and kind of absolute rubbish there's no one really kind of screaming out at you under 8 million apart from Martinelli but I'm yeah. assuming a lot of people have got Martinelli if you haven't got Martinelli yeah maybe maybe you don't bother but I think given that you're likely to have Salah and Martinelli, I think an 8 million makes a lot of sense from a structural perspective. And I think we've seen enough from them amongst all those returns you've just discussed that you can be quite confident that there will be one or two that you can you can kind of look into. I think people that have gone very heavy on them, that's probably a bit difficult to manage because I think the beauty of them is they're well-matched. So yeah. that you can sort of hop between them. Um, but I think, yeah, having one in there makes quite a lot of sense at the moment, particularly until we've got a better idea of how the land lies. And, you know, 
with us not being sure about Liverpool's defence at the moment, there's probably less need to invest at the back. Yeah, definitely. No, big at the back. It's, it's already fallen apart, hasn't it? Already in the bin. Speaking of people who uh, may be thinking their season, not in the bin, uh, but they're already in catch up, in a catch-up sort of scenario, I think it's probably good to just mention another Dave, uh, this time at Dave CZFPL. He wrote in and said that he went with Diaz, Mount and Kane over Martinelli, Jesus and Salah. For the loss of 61 points, well, now it would probably be a bit less of, less than that because obviously Salah's uh, blank this week. Uh, but a 43-point net loss overall at the time uh, that I wrote that question out. But he says that all good fixtures um, are coming up for his current lot. Do the stats say it's worth staying with them? He's less interested in kind of us advising him on his team, but is it worth sticking with what he did or is it worth sort of, you know, swallowing his pride and making those changes. And I think it was definitely a tough time for those in the catch-up scenario. Like, I'm no stranger to being there. That's for damn sure. We were talking about it during the break. And I'm not sure, Dave, if there's data there at the moment because that's outcome-bias-led advice. But I really salute your cojones uh, for going against uh, those three. And honestly, I'd be more worried about no Jesus actually yeah. more than Mo Salah um, because the brass taxes, the eff- effective ownerships up as well for Jesus, obviously he scored 19 points, but if a game like Bournemouth away is coming up next, a game where loads of people are going to probably be captaining him. I mean, I can see his, his EO nudging, nudging that hundred percent next week because less engaged managers will see who did well last week and just go around captaining that guy. And I think it just goes back to the outcome bias pod a little bit. You've got to ask yourself, are you happy with the decision I've made? And there's clear logic to that riskier approach. It's now a case of whether you stick to it or not. And I'd be kind of wondering whether, you said you got Mount in particular, whether you could kind of think, oh, well, I can move him on and just accommodate Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you're limiting your exposure to a perennial threat throughout the campaign. Because Jesus' ownership is going to stay high all year round. He's reminiscent of Richarlison a few years ago. When he scored in the first week, something you know you had like you know one million managers buying him in. And Wilson Fraser at Bournemouth a few years ago. Even if the template moves away from a player like Jesus, we're still going to see the ghost teams dancing thriller style on the odd week when he does score or do well. Because there can be so many teams throughout the course of this whole season that have got Jesus nestled in them. I doubt his ownership will ever drop below sixty percent. I don't think we're going to see that sort of sense of mass sell-off because over time, people drop off, but the players remain in their teams. In some ways, Jesus is a potential dead spot unless you captain him. So yeah, but that for me, talking back to looking back to when we were talking about the market forces, is a potential problem that I would just get, get out in front of and solve there. It's not a glamorous transfer, that's for damn sure, but stubbornness doesn't help you here. You can never get the points back that has been scored this week, but Given the next few fixtures, that would be the rational move, at least to kind of combine the sense of riskiness at the start of the campaign, as well as kind of just saying, yeah, okay, I need to limit my exposure to a potentially damaging outcome. Obviously, Diaz scored tonight, but that's not going to be doing too much to alleviate the damage that Jesus has done to you. I mean, if you're in catch up, Lucy. Um, I know I've kind of given quite a targeted response there, but if you're in catch up now and you've got a few kind of players around. Where would you be? Would you be kind of thinking, oh, I've got to hit, I'm just going to hit the button and wild card, or would you be kind of making tactical moves? So, what would your approach be? 
Um, I'm terrible at playing catch up. Um, I don't do it a lot because I normally try to keep a quite template start. But I would be making sure that I'm not just frittering away transfers in the kind of catch up mode as in, oh no, they've scored this week and I don't have them. Let's get them in. I think I'd be making sure that I've got two in the bank and then maybe looking at like a mini wildcard, maybe a minus four or a minus eight and being quite aggressive to start with. Um, if if your appetite, if you don't have the appetite for that, then yeah, maybe I would be looking at a wildcard, but I really don't think we've got enough data yet. I think ideally you need to hang on till game week four, even if it means just plugging up some gaps for a while. Um, I, I know some people kind of favour going, you know, when they feel the need, they go. Um, I just don't think we've got quite the insight yet. So I would be looking at accumulating a couple of transfers, maybe combining that with a minus four to give yourself like a, a mini wild card, and then seeing if you can basically cover the kind of key leaks, basically. So if you, if you don't have Jesus, for example, him being a great example of someone you would need to, to look at, probably City defence at the moment, if you don't have them, probably worth looking at. Um, there are just, you know, there's few key areas I'd make sure that you've covered, but I wouldn't do it in a way where you're kind of panicking and reacting week on week, but you've got an idea of, of how you're going to put it together. Yeah, definitely. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, couple of, a couple more. Uh, so wavering on Waverson, uh, which is my portmanteau for Warden Everson. Uh, Sean, Captain Hindsight at Macolio89, asks if the 4 million goalkeeper experiment has been worth it. Obviously, we're sitting here with two clean sheets, Lucy, from uh, Mr. Edison himself. I mean, what do you think uh, if you were in that situation? Um, I would say it hasn't been worth it. And actually, I because I'm a massive dullard, I never considered doing it. So when I did have Ward in to play a bit more actively, I had him with Sanchez um, because I thought that that looked like a decent, not rotation, more like Ward covering Sanchez's iffy fixtures. I think you're in a bit of, a spot of trouble and I don't think it's that hard to get yourself out of it because as I said I think Sanchez is a good option so I think I would be looking to find half a million from somewhere and upgrade Iveson it's not massively urgent because I think they've got Southampton this week which isn't such a bad fixture to endure but I think that's one of the things to potentially look at um yeah you've got some cash in the bank yeah, exactly the same exactly the same feeling uh, final question this week uh, red process so uh, FPL Positivity, Mark, ask how concerned we should be about United fans getting the Liverpool game called off. Or should we ensure that we have a beefier bench than normal? Now, this is an interesting one, isn't it? How hard can a prawn sandwich be thrown after all? <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I'm not entirely convinced about how it will go, as you always seem to find the most vocally critical fans are those who are on social media, keyboard warriors, many of them miles if not oceans away uh, from Manchester but it sounds like there will be protests from what the supporters club have said today and uh, really it's interesting because it's one of those sort of external events where I guess you kind of do the right thing so you can advise a player in another match is good practice I mean external events Lucy I mean last year we had so many of these because of Covid and you know uh, the Bryn, uh, Bryn FPL asked us a question about making early transfers. And uh, last year, obviously, it wasn't really a thing. This year, it kind of makes sense to do so. We don't really know how much this is going to evolve or whether something's going to go completely wrong. Uh, how much does something like this factor in your thinking throughout the course of the week? Is it something that you kind of wait till Friday for to kind of think, oh, okay, I'll make a decision there or Saturday, I guess, depending on the deadline? 
I don't think we're going to know a whole load a whole load more about it um, by waiting for the deadline. So I think if you've got moves in mind and you were committed to going early, I, I don't think that would change my mind on it. I think what's difficult about these is how you quantify the risk because they're pretty unprecedented circumstances of which we don't have a huge amount of detail, nor do we, for obvious reasons, have any idea what the kind of security or police presence is likely to be because they don't want to give away kind of that kind of stuff. So it's very difficult for us to come up with like a logical conclusion as to how much risk this poses. I think a lot of United fans are suggesting this is likely to be a bad one, more so because of the Brentford result, which kind of makes sense. Um, I don't think it would encourage me to spend more on my bench. So, you know, the question about a beefy bench, I don't think it would encourage me to do that because I think you're potentially shifting your strategy for more than just the week to respond to a one-off event. And I think it could screw you over later down, later down the line. But what I think it probably does is reaffirm that if you do have a fire or you have something that you can easily sort out to resolve it, knowing that that's a bit more of a risk this week. But yeah, I wouldn't go much further than that because I just don't think you can really prepare for it, particularly given that it's Liverpool versus United. So if you've still got United players, I'd dump them. Just to clarify that. I, d- I don't know if that needed to be clarified. <laughs> but no, I would no. get rid of those. And then and then everyone has triple Liverpool, pretty much. I mean, there might be the odd double up, but most people have triple Liverpool. So everyone's going to be affected a similar amount. So from that perspective, I don't think it's a massive deal. You're going to know a lot more at the deadline, are you? What are you going to do? I mean, you've got to kind of just try to play it in a way that you would play otherwise. Because given how FPL works, you can't change your tra- your captain and stuff. I mean, maybe you could kind of say, you know what, if you are really, really, you know, completely frightened by this and you genuinely believe, belief is a key word, it's subjective. There's no way of knowing whether the game's going to be disrupted, something's going to happen whatever if you genuinely believe that the united fans are going to cause a ruckus and call the game and get the game called off then by all means captain jesus and if it does look like it's going to go that way then maybe we may see people doing that but it's, it's one of those things it's, it's trying to control the uncontrollable as we spoke about during the um behavioral science pod and it's it's very difficult to do it's a very difficult thing to answer with external factors these things are always going to happen in fpl You've got to be aware of that the fact that there's going to be something there could be something that could happen. You know, if you brought in Nunez this week or you wildcard the Nunez this week, you can't legislate for the fact that he's going to decide to headbutt an opposing defender. There's just, you can't factor that into their thinking. There's no X headbutt <laughs> metric in the same way there's there's X-A-B. no Yeah, there's no X CT crowd trouble. But I understand where it comes from, that question. And if you are genuinely really scared and thinking, you know what, United fans are going to go on the march, on the pitch, then go ahead and captain somebody else. And if it looks like it's going to go that way by Friday, then do so. Right, okay. Transfers and captains, Lucy. We've spoken about this a fair bit, actually. Any idea what the hell you're going to do? I assume you're going to be captaining Salah against United because I'm doing that and that feels like the template thing. Yeah, that feels like a template move, so I will be doing that. Unless we have some information this week that makes us more sure of those protests being a serious threat to the match, I will be going for Salah captain. And it will be either one of Bailey or Trippier out. I don't think it will be both of them. But then, who knows? It could be. And as for who I'll bring in, I quite like Kukurea at this point. I feel like 
that's actually gaining my team something. So Kukureya at the moment with a really large asterisk next to him. Interesting. Well, I don't have the Trippier thing to deal with. I've got Gabriel, I'm happy with him. So I'm not going to be moving out anybody for Kukureya because I need to do two free transfers to do that. I'm Greg Neko. I'm really between break the structure and go over 4.5 and deepen my bench or whatever, or move out Bailey for somebody else and just kind of have fun moving the deck chairs around. I kind of I feel like I might do that. Who that is, I've got no idea. Even now, it could be Ezzy. It could be McAllister. It could be Lana. It could be X, Y, and Z. I don't think I'm going to move to Bournemouth. So I think it probably is narrowly down to a Brighton midfielder, which is probably going to be McAllister versus Lana. Or it is kind of taking a punt on somebody like Ezzy. It's all going to be a punt. I mean, maybe something will come out during the course of the week where I think, oh, yeah, okay, that, that'll do for me. I mean, I've got two free transfers. I, I don't think I'm going to burn it. So maybe I will get somebody like Eze who's going to just kind of be all right and do a decent job. The problem with Eze, of course, is that if I do end up with Eze, then game week four, I need to play one of Eze away at City, Andreas away at Arsenal, or Neko away at Spurs. I feel but, like you've got off this idea already. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll, I'll have two free transfers then, again, because I'd have used one this week. So, I mean, that could be a way forward because I'll have this. I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know at this point. I really don't. <laughs> I really, I've got no idea. I, I wish I'd spent a free transfer last week, to be honest, because like I wouldn't have this problem. It feels <laughs> counterintuitive, I've got to be honest. I feel like I've used transfers, so I have fewer of them. I know. I know it's, it's stupid, isn't it? Anyway. Okay. On that confusing note, I think that's you a lot. Hopefully that was useful. Thanks, Lucy. It'll be a couple of weeks now, won't it, until you're back again? Yes, indeed. I shall be making next week's transfers from the beach. It's a hard life, but, you know, someone's got to do it. Thanks for listening, everyone. We were Who Got the Assist. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FBL, or you can find me at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Yes, please go ahead and do that. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you again very soon. Lucy, I'll speak to you in what seems like quite a while now. I think it's going to be September, like mid-September, basically, because Nick is going to be back for both the next pod and the pod after that because I think you're getting back quite late, aren't you, on the Monday? Uh, so I think me and Nick will have a couple. We'll do themes. We won't, we won't lay it on as thick. I know last week people were a little bit kind of iffy about how thick we laid that on. Blame Nick entirely. But anyway, I hope this is you. Think about enablers and think about other things with your FPL team this week. Have a good week. I'll speak to you soon. Farewell. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.